Coming to you from the Paranormal Warehouse, Destination Mystery paints the story for paranormal content, abnormal adventures, and the fun behind the investigations. Each week, Mike and Melissa will bring a new adventure that includes going to some of the most remote places in the West. They will tell the story behind the investigation and share with you the evidence they discover. This is not your regular paranormal show. These episodes will bring new content from locations that no one would think to investigate or explore. We will not only tell the spooky story, we will go to the location where the spooky story originated. Fasten your seatbelts as we take you on an adventure that will make you question what's normal and what's paranormal. Uh, hello, paranormal peeps and weird wanderers. Welcome to our 12th live Facebook show on the Paranormal Warehouse. If you're joining us via podcast, we do a weekly show on the Paranormal Warehouse, Wednesday nights at 1030 Eastern Standard Time. We turn these episodes into podcast episodes. This way you can join us wherever and whenever it's convenient for you, if you can't see the live show. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, or follow, and share. We are currently available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you listen to your podcast. If you miss the pictures or the evidence that we share on our live show, you can visit our Facebook page. It's Destination-Mystery. Now, we've got a special treat for you. We want to give you an introduction to a podcast that we enjoy listening to. It's uh, our friends from the Creep Cafe podcast, and we are going to play their trailer. So, how long does this thing have to be? Uh, 30 seconds, I think. Hmm. So, we got to kill time for that long? Yes. Do you think? <laughs> I don't think we can do it. We can do it. That's all we do every week is kill time. <laughs> and talk about people that might have gotten killed. Or talk about people who have been killed haunting places. Yeah, so. If you like creepy. Or disgusting. Or you just aren't right in the head. <laughs> this, this is the place for you. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, without a doubt. And I'm Marissa. And I'm Olivia. And this is the Creep Cafe Podcast. Hope you enjoy. Um, and as you can see, we have a special guest with us tonight. Chuck is a principal IC design engineering consultant with his company, Zukowski Consulting. He has over 30 years of graphic mixed signal microchip design and is a former reserve deputy sheriff with El Paso County Sheriff's Department in Colorado. For about 35 years, Chuck has been researching and investigating the UFO slash paranormal phenomena as a field investigator. He's appeared on radio and television shows discussing his investigations. Chuck approaches every investigation from a skeptical point of view, looking for any known possibility before claiming otherwise. He also implements innovative field experiments from time to time to enhance his investigations, looking for new evidence. In September of 2016, famed writer Boston, um, oh, from Boston, Ben Mers, Mers Mesrick, Mesrick, um, released his book, The 37th Parallel. I've actually read it twice. It's oh no, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's good. I I really enjoy that book. So if you haven't read it, you really it is good. It. I enjoyed it too. It was good. Um, it was a New York Times bestseller and has been optioned for a movie twice. No, nice. oh, two months. Two months. Oh, for two months. For two months. Um, and it's been optioned for a movie with Warner Brothers New Line Cinema. We heard anything That'd be a about great that? movie. Um, the screenplay uh, was complete by first quarter this year, and because of COVID, everything kind of fell flat. But about a month or so ago, the 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 screen, I guess the screenplay writer or the script writer contacted me and said they're starting to get a little bit of interest from a couple of actors. So uh, we'll see what happens now. It, you know, with you know movies compared to TV, movies take a long time. Mm -hmm. Know, and uh, I'm still learning a lot, you know, a lot about that. But um, you know, at least uh, after a couple of iterations, the the script is now complete. And uh, they didn't let me read it, but um, I have an idea based on what's it, you know, what's it, it's about. And and so far, it's uh, they're they're using all our real names. So nice. Uh, but that could change too. But we'll see. You know, do you, do you maybe know maybe before I die, it'll come out. <laughs> Do you know who gets to play you? I'm or sorry? can you say, do you know who gets to play you? 
Um, Can you say? Uh, no, there's been there's been a a couple different people who who are reading the script now, so no one has been picked, and mm. I guess it's a it's a kind of a long process, um, especially even longer now because of COVID. Right. Working from home. So. Um, That's exciting. I I can't wait for it to come out and watch it. Um, in June of 2019, Chuck hosted his own TV show on the Travel Channel called Alien Highway with his son, Daniel Zukowski, and ghost investigator Heather Taddy. Mm -hmm. He and his team traveled to eight states in eight one-hour episodes covering some of Chuck's personal investigations. Alien Highway was depicted many times by mainstream media as one of the top shows to watch on Wednesday nights. I looked forward to that every night, and I wish that there would be more episodes. Um, it was my favorite show to tune into. He has also appeared in Ghost Adventures, Unexplained Files, Chasing UFOs, Alien Valley, Fact or Faked, which I think is the first show I ever watched you on, and um, The Roswell Crash and many more. And I've seen all of them. Excellent, excellent episodes. Um, Chuck hosts his website, they, or it's ufonut.com. His website displays various types of information on the UFO slash paranormal field, which also includes personal blogs about his research and investigations. He also has numerous videos on YouTube under the UFO nut heading, which portrays more of his work. And if you haven't visited his website, I highly recommend it. It's, it's jam packed with information, um, research. It's, I mean, you can spend hours on it. You've got so much on there. It's, it's, it's just like, it's just like, uh, what's that app my kids use? Um, I can't remember, but I'll get on your website and get lost because there's so much to read. But we really want to thank Chuck for joining us tonight. Um, Mike and I, uh, and by the way, we have a lot of people tuning in saying hello from Tokyo to Australia. Oh, wow. Um, we want to let everybody know that we appreciate you joining in and we will get to hopefully get to your comments a little bit later if you have any, um, but I, I might not get to all of them because we want to make sure that we have enough time for Chuck to share everything. So, but keep them coming. We'll, we'll try to get to them. Um, so anyway, Mike and I grew up in a small farming community in Southeast Idaho and we grew up on a dairy farm. And we had a string of cattle mutilations that occurred in the late 1970s, maybe the very first part of the 1980s. Uh, and it was troubling being on a dairy farm and having things like this happen to your cattle. And we have just grown up you know, with questions. There were theories, there were all sorts of things that were put out there, but no answers ever. And that's why we've decided to have you on the show and hope that you could share some of your expertise with us and let's get this discussion started. Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about that real quick and then? Well, when we were younger, um, we used to go to our cousin's house. All the, the moms and the kids would go to one of the, the sister-in-law's houses and we'd spend the night. I didn't know this until recently is because the husbands were out monitoring the cows and making sure nothing happened to them. My grandpa didn't lose any, but several of our neighbors lost several cows during this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I asked my mom about it and she's like, well, I asked her about the black helicopters and I asked her about some of the other things going on. And she says, well, now that you mentioned it, I do remember seeing black helicopters. And at the time, ISU, one of the colleges was offering some witchcraft classes. So she thought maybe it was one of those two things are related. And the third option, she said there was a doctor who lived in the area that kind of scared the people. I don't remember what his name was, but they tend to think he was kidnapping and kidnapping, taking animals <laughs> and uh, doing some testing with them. But then eventually he moved. And so they never, you know, she wasn't one to find out about it. And I didn't know about that when I was a kid or I'd have done some more investigating I used to do my reports in high school and in grade school on the cattle mutilations, but I think it scared my teachers and my mom a little bit that I was so interested in this particular phenomenon, but it was just fascinating to me. Well, um, for people who don't know a, a little bit about cattle mutilations, uh, one of the first mutilations, I think it was in September 1967, 
in Alamosa in the San Luis Valley, Colorado. And it was Snippy the horse. And um, actually, it was really Lady the horse, but uh, media got the names wrong. And the, the animal was found at the base of uh, Blanca Peak. And if you, if you go to San Luis Valley, Blanca Peak is right before the sand dunes. Uh, what's cool about that is right across from Blanca Peak in Hooper is the uh, UFO Watchtower. And during the summertime, probably not this year because of COVID, but, you know, you can dry camp there. And then there's a, an actual tower that you can get on top of. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all gated or not gated, but fenced and stuff. And you can look for UFOs. Very active area. Well, that was in 1967. And since then, um, it's that we estimate close to 10,000 cases across the United States since 1967. Uh, George Knapp, actually, out of uh, Nevada, uh, a very, very popular uh, a journalist, uh, you know, paranormal journalist, uh, UFOs, um, you know, came up with that figure. And, and originally, I thought that number was too high. But the more I did investigations, I realized for every investigation I do, I hear you know, with a new rancher, I hear that, you know, there has been other, uh, you know, mutilations that rancher had or his neighbors had. So one, one case can turn into five or six. And like, you know, with, uh, you know, um, I, uh, Melissa, I'm sorry, Melissa, okay. Mike and Melissa, I was thinking Michelle for some reason, Mike and uh, That's my Melissa, sister, so it's fine. Um, you know, now, you know, you hear about more cases in the dairy farm in Idaho. So, um, a lot of the cases, you know, uh, that happened were never reported. But out of all the 10,000 cases that were investigated by law enforcement, they never found any evidence of a predator, meaning a mountain lion or a bear, responsible for the death and, and the carnage. And they never saw any evidence of, or, uh, of a human intervention, um, which would be animal cruelty. And, um, you know, like you know, Melissa mentioned earlier before, I was a, a volunteer deputy for eight years out here in Colorado. And so I learned a, lo a lot about, uh, you know, uh, investigating crimes and stuff just because deputies, uh, as opposed to city cops, a deputy can, you know, actually investigate, you know, the crime scene themselves and then bring in the detective afterwards. Uh, so I learned a lot. And, and the main thing that I learned was um, there's just just books and books and libraries full of books, you know, have been going on for the past hundred years on how to solve homicides, human, you know, homicides and, and, uh, you know, and crimes involving humans. So there's a lot of data to go back to the research. Now with animal mutilations, we don't have that. So, uh, you know, this is still kind of fertile ground, even though it's been going on for a while, but because technology is increasing, it gives investigators that delve into animal mutilation investigation, an opportunity of using different techniques and new technologies. Um, I have, a, I purchased a new Psionics Pro camera um, actually put money down at the beginning of this year and I was going to use it this year except for COVID but you know that's a, you know that's a thousand dollar night vision camera and then I have another camera in the back and, and I have all kinds of you know I have thousands of dollars worth of of stuff that I use that came out of my own pocket out of my own budget that's, that's why I work a day job <laughs> to do this investigating um, doesn't pay enough <laughs> No, but it's, uh, you know, but you have to try new things. Um, you know, I have a, I, I, I've been, I've ran a couple different, you know, experiments too in areas where, you know, there were animal mutilations trying to, you know, get some type of response from who's ever out there. I like to call it fishing for UFOs. But animal mutilation actually goes back further than 1967. That was the first case that kind of went worldwide in the media. Um, I actually read about a case in the late 1800s. I think it was 18, I can't remember, it was 96 or 92, but it was in Missouri. And um, uh, a, a farmer's family had seen, you know, at night, just, just after, you know, dusk, they saw a glowing object um, hovering over, over, you know, um, I guess the pasture where the cows were. And, you know, back in the 1800s, I mean, you know, they don't know anything about technology. 
and it, you know, it really scared them a, a lot. And they, you know, they hightailed it inside the ranch house and, you know, the father grabbed his guns and they were ready because they didn't know, I mean, he had no clue, you know. And when they came out the next morning and the father went out there in the area where, where the, uh, the light was hovering, they found three dead animals, three dead cows, and they were all drained of blood. Now, this is something we still see today. You know, the one thing that is the common denominator, one thing that's common denominator of all our mutilation cases is the lack of blood. Now, the blood is drained. It's not drained completely dry. I mean, there's still a little bit of, you know, pooling inside the carcass, but it's, it's you know, it, it, you should be ex expecting to see gallons of blood around an animal that's mutilated, but you don't, you don't see that at all. And the majority of the time, 90% of the time, you don't see any, any blood at all on the ground around the animal. What you'll see fluid that's basically from the sun hitting, you know, the, the height of the animal and the moisture coming out of the height and it's creeps out. That's the fluid you kind of see. But this has been going on since, you know, like I said, you know, the late 1800s. So it's nothing new here in the U.S. Now, you know, since I moved from California to Colorado 20, almost 23 years ago, um, I've had the opportunity of talking to a lot of Native Americans, the Ute Indians out here in Colorado, uh, Navajo, Apache, and uh, one more. Anyway, I apologize. Um, and I've learned from them that, that these strange animal deaths have been going on, in, you know, for their generations, too. You know, before the Europeans even migrated to North America. So this is nothing new. This has been going on for a long time. So when you hear the skeptics out there going, oh, it's, I mean, I've heard it all. You know, I've been doing this over 30 years. And, you know, uh, no, it's it's not special forces doing it. You know, one thing one one person was saying was special forces. Even even Christopher O'Brien, who wrote a couple of books on on uh, mutilation cases here in Colorado before he moved away from Colorado, you know, he lectures that it's all government you know intervention, and it's it's absolutely not. It's you know we've never ever found any evidence of human intervention. Now. Uh, we know that there's no human intervention because humans um, aren't perfect, right? And we're not perfect at all. We make mistakes. That's why we're able to catch criminals, you know, the committed crimes, you know, majority criminals were able to catch within a certain time period because every criminal case that, you know, that happens, you know, evidence is left there. Now, like I said earlier, there's, you know, realms and, and just, well, just tons and tons of books of, uh, of, of how to investigate crimes and how to look for evidence. It's kind of hard for animal mutilations and the paranormal, but we know evidence is there. My job is to figure out what evidence it is and how to find it and how to, you know, and, and, and or randomly look for evidence using different methods and hoping to find some evidence and then tie it in from there. But, you know, like I said, this has been going on for a while. We have a question from Gerald. I hope I said that right. Uh, asking, have you ever checked for a carcass, the carcasses for radiation? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Matter of fact, um, let me see if I can, if I can share my screen here. Um, and then another person is asking, so the catamutilations are still happening? Question mark. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, um, let me see if I can get this thing to. Okay, it's it's not moving. Um, we can okay, see so, it moving. Oh, okay. So basically, um, I'm going to answer that question um, real quick. That yes, animal mutilations are still occurring. Matter of fact, um, I'm being you know um, I I just sent out an email today uh, to the state director of MUFON in, in another state, and uh, I'm trying to get a hold of this person because there's been mutilations in that state. Um, this year, and there's also been mutilations in uh, in Oregon this year, also. So yeah, it's still going on. Uh, now you know this slide. You can see this slide basically tells you, you know what makes an, an animal mutilation an actual animal mutilation, and you you know you can read that for yourself. So I, I won't read it, but but let's go back to to that other question about um, uh, radiation. Now, in the investigation techniques. 
and I've added some since this slide, but you know, the, the second thing you can see right from the get-go is a radiation check of animals in the surrounding area. So I do have a digital Geiger counter that I, I check. The first thing is you interview the rancher and, 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 and the workers and anybody you know, that, uh, that are associated or, or, you know, to that mutilation. Then you check for radiation because you want to be able to protect yourself and your team from any type of radiation. Then you also want to check for high EMF or electromagnetic fields because that can, you know, also um, cause illnesses in, in, in people. And, and I have found in a couple of cases where the animals had high EMF on them. Um, and then, you can kind of see from there pictures taken and all kinds of stuff. And what I do um, and what I've always done from the very beginning compared to, uh, um, uh, you know, well, actually what I've done even before I was a deputy was um, I use a clipboard with a, you know, paper on it and I draw, I actually draw, you know, an outline of the animal, you know, the crime scene and, and where the carnage is the measurement of the animal, the direction the animal is lying in, the GPS coordinates of the animal, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'll take soil samples. Um, if, the, if there's a, you know, we could talk about that in a little bit, but if, if the animal is lying in, in, a, in a crop circle type ring, I'll take soil samples from inside the ring and outside the ring, vegetation samples, and, and all kinds of other stuff. Let me go back to stop sharing here. Oh, in my back? Yeah. <laughs> And and so uh, yes, um, I do. From the very get go, we do. Me and my team, but basically it's been me most of the time. Is I'll check radiation first to make sure that not only am I safe, but is a rancher safe too from anything that that might have high levels of radiation. And no, um, from all the cases that I've done, I've never picked up anything. Um, any type of, of high readings on, on radiation. There was one case in Trinidad where I picked up a little bit more than was ambient and I, and I contacted uh, um, uh, at Boulder. There's a, in Boulder, Colorado, there's a uh, geological uh, site there that I contacted and they said that's okay because that particular area, there's uranium deposits. So you're going to pick up a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I kind of stay in touch with, you know, the, the with with any, with anybody who who knows about you know high EMF and radiation stuff, if I pick up high levels, to find out whether or not the rancher is in danger. Interesting. Is there parts of the body that absorb radiation more than others, and is that why they're being harvested? No, you know it's um, it's really interesting. Um, out of all the cases that I've done, now you know they I've had multiple cases. Let me see if I can. Um, Get this again here. Uh, I'm just trying moving some things around. There are, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the slide real quick and kind of show you some of the things that, um, I apologize for this, I'm, I'm not. That's okay. Um, I'm getting used to Zoom. So, <laughs> um, so we'll go to the, the current slide. Come on, go. Okay, now you can see that, right? Yeah, we can see it. Okay, so. Let me just let me just run through here. Um, some of the mutilations, and I, and I just picked 2009. We had a rash of mutilations in Colorado. Um, this one, I'm going to go back one more. This was, uh, you know, uh, the Duran case, and and Duran Rancher Duran, not only had a, a mutilation. A mutilation. If you look at that cow, it's it's lying in part of the Purgatory River, and um, if you look real close at the legs, uh, it's lying in mud. And the one thing about um, a mutilation cases is the animal is just laying there it was placed there uh it didn't die there it was you know physically placed there because if it died it shows signs of it struggling and there's never ever any signs of it struggling uh, so the animal is picked up on location a where it's at taken to a location b where the mutilation takes place and, and it's brought back to location c which is near location a now this particular case, this animal, which you don't see, if you look at the bottom picture, it's lying at the bottom of a, of, a, of a hill. And if the animal had fallen down the hill dead into the water, there would have been all kinds of evidence of trees, branches breaking, all kinds of stuff, because it's a 1,200-pound you know, animal um, or 1,000-pound animal. And uh, but we don't see that. 
but that's the last place that the rancher had seen it was on top of this hill and the next day the, the animal was found there. This was a Miller uh, investigation in 2009 where, where now you have different cases of, of how animals are dead. This particular one, um, the tongue was cut out and the ears were cut off. But look at the bottom picture. It was completely removed of everything. And that's only happened a few cases. I had another case where that happened uh, where, where the skeleton was laying next to the skin. It was laid out. I kid you not. Whoever did it laid it out, laid out the skin, you know, flat next to the skeleton. And um, there, was, there was no blood, no anything. And then on the hide itself, where, the, where it was pulled down from the head, there was a hole on each side. And, uh, and so that was, you know, so some of these cases are really unique. This Garin mutilation case, the milk sack was removed. Now, what's interesting about this case, the tongue was still there. You can see it in the top picture, but the milk sack. Now, now look at the ground around you can see where I was talking about where the anal area is. Um, you can see some discoloration of the ground. That's usually from the fluids oozing out, but not blood. Now look at the milk sack. You would expect for the amount of blood in that animal, this, the ground would be completely covered. Now what's interesting about this particular animal was that animal had given birth the previous day and um, or sometime within the evening had given birth. And the calf was laying about 50, 60 yards alive from this animal. And cow mothers will never, ever, ever leave their calf after it's born. Uh, yet something lured this cow, cow away, mutilated it, and left the calf alone, and the calf survived. Um, matter of fact, the calf at the time, I think, um, part of the placenta was eaten because when a cow gives birth, it eats, starts eating the placenta to uh, re-nourish itself, you know, with, with high nutrients uh, for the calf, for, for the pre-milk. And uh, so here's a case where we can, we can tell the skeptics right off, the debunkers, um, no, it wasn't a predator. Why? Because why would a predator take down a big cow, only eat its milk sack, yet leave uh you know a newborn calf completely alone so you know here's why another... you eat the milk sack when you can have the steak <laughs> what's that why eat the milk sack when you can have the steak oh no yeah absolutely yeah, that doesn't make sense yeah it doesn't make sense so here's a case with matt rancher sanchez another case where there was four of these animals he lost four of them uh, within a couple of days and and finally decided he's just going to sell the rest of his calves. So here and and look how much carnage is there, but no blood at all. Um, this was a really really good case. This was the Aaron case. Now you can see where the right eyeball was missing, the blood was present around the socket and stuff. Now this was the one case I was telling you about. I picked up very very high electromagnetic field from that head, or what's you know the hole in the head. And I picked it up with my tri-filled, you know, I've been using my tri-filled meters for years. And just recently within the past couple of years, ghost investigators are starting to use, you know, the tri-filled meters, uh, you know, EMF meters and ghost investigations. But we've been using them as a UFO investigators for years. And I contacted, I purchased mine a few years ago from uh, Alpha Labs. And I contacted Alpha Labs and I happened to talk to one of the engineers who designed it. And I said, why would I be reading high levels, high levels of EMF? Now, I was reading over 100 microteslas. The meter was, was pinging. Uh, you know, the needle was pinging in the meter, right? And the Earth's magnetic field is only 50 microteslas. So I was reading double the Earth's magnetic field from mm -hmm. this hole. And so when I talked to the engineer at Alpha Labs, he says, don't quote me on this. And I'm not quoting him. I'm just telling you, you know, Okay, I am quoting you, but, but, <laughs> but I'm basically saying that what he told me was it appears, based on his engineer experience, that there was some type of electromagnetic field that was a residual that was left on that portion of the animal, and I was picking up the residual. Over a period of time, the EM field would just, you know, just eventually go away. That was one of the cases where I had the real high EMF field. So... You can see with this case, the, a lot of the similarities between mutilations um, 
is is all over the board, really. You know, missing tongues, um, holes cut in the animal, complete destruction of the animal. And uh, but for every case, there's absolutely no sign of uh, of masses amounts of blood, and there should be gallons. There's no signs of predator attacking yet. You would assume the picture on the bottom, the Sanchez one, would be a predator, but there was no there was no evidence of of, of a predator, you know, uh, at that animal. Now, the other thing about this that you don't know about is Manuel Sanchez. Um, I've investigated a few mutilations from Madame Manuel Sanchez. This was one of the later ones that I investigated. Um, so he's had a, a rash of them. So is Miller. Miller has had, you can see Miller here three times and Sanchez at least twice in this picture. Um, and I'll go back to stop sharing at this point. Da, 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 da. Okay, I'm back, I guess. Um, Anita is asking, were there any tracks around the animals or and what were, if there were, what were they like? Uh, that's a really good question, Anita. Um, you would expect to find animal tracks, and there was only one case where I found animal tracks um, at, near the carcass, and it was that was over by uh, uh, San Luis, uh, uh, the little little city called San Luis, over by the Colorado Mexican or New Mexican border. Um, because I, I rolled up on 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 a mutilated bull that was lying in a in a crop circle. I don't want to say crop circle; it's more like uh, a circle 16 to 22 feet in diameter where, where the, you know, the, the grass and everything just was pushed down. There's nothing elaborate about it. It's just a round circle with a push down. We had a case in an alien highway that we investigated in Missouri, if anybody had seen that. Mm -hmm. But that was, I was rolling up. I saw something run away from that animal. It was a bear. So, oh. um, and so there were bear tracks next to it. But the interesting thing about that particular case was you had, oops, sorry, you had um, the animal was lying in this crop circle or ground depression, but the bear came in, took the animal, drug the animal out of the circle before it started eating the carcass. It would not eat the carcass within the circle because of the high EM or because of the EM fill in the circle. And I've seen that one other time in Missouri where there was animal mutilation and there was a ground depression and the cows the ground depression was near uh, a corral, and, and and when the rancher tried to get the uh, the animals back into the corral, they would walk around the circle mm -hmm. rather than walk through the circle to get to the corral. And they actually, at one point, actually pushed down part of this corral fence trying to get away from the circle. So for some reason, cows can pick this up and other animals can pick it up. Dogs, they don't care. They'll lie right in it. So, you know, if, if it's dependent on the species. Now, Anita, there was one time where I mentioned earlier where we know that the animal is picked up from one location, taken to another location, the mutilation is done there, and it's brought back to a third location close to it. Manuel Sanchez, this is really interesting. We believe, well, I believe that um, that the ranchers themselves are, are being targeted. Their animals are being targeted. Who's ever doing this likes the way the ranchers, you know, are are bringing up the cows or even the horses, because they're all, you know, they're all um, uh, um, grazing animals basically. So there's, you know, they don't have any steroids or anything injected in them. They're all free grazing animals. So there was Manuel Sanchez had moved his animal, his, 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 I don't know, I think he had a herd of like 60 or 70 in an area from near his house to another area that was a couple miles down the road. And what they do in certain places is, is, is ranchers will move their cows from pasture to pasture just to eat the vegetation to keep it from growing up. So, right. you know, they're, they're just natural lawnmowers. So here you have Manuel Sanchez cows here. You had two other ranchers cows on each side. Okay. Yet his cow was hit. And when I went to investigate his cow, unfortunately, one of the other ranchers who owned, you know, one of the other two herds saw the dead animal, thought it might have been, you know, bacterial viral. And then he flash burned it with a propane torch. So I couldn't take any samples or anything with that. But what you do, depending on the time you have doing a mutilation case, is where the mute is, um, after you do all your investigations and, and go through all your procedures, last thing you do, depending on how much time you have, 
because it's depending on, on the time is depends on the rancher. Sometimes they're standing over your shoulder. Sometimes they, they just say, you know, close the door behind you when you're done. You start doing a spiral. And the whole purpose behind that is to, to look for any type of evidence of where that animal came from. So I was doing a spiral walking around going further and further out from the animal. And we found one set of tracks that, that were walking along the fence about 60, 70 feet away and they stopped. So it was one set of tracks and they stopped. And, and unless that cow walked backwards inside his tracks, <laughs> you know, right. or her tracks, um, that's, that's where the animal was picked up. And we found it 60, 70 feet later, you know, lying on the ground. So that was the one out of all the cases where I actually found tracks where the animal was before it was picked up. Um. Gerald is asking, are there more females mutilated than males or? Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and that's a good question. Um, the reason for that is I, there's just a lot more of them because generally you'll have stud bulls. And, um, and I've worked a couple of cases where the, you know, the bulls, like the one I just talked about, where the stud bulls were killed. The problem with a stud bull is, is, you know, cows are, are well, there's a, there's a multiplying effect. So when a cow is, 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 is raised to calf and the calves are raised to calf and those calves are raised to calf, so it multiplies. So when, when a rancher loses an animal, it's not just $500 or $400 out of his pocket. It's thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of dollars out of his pocket because of all the calves that he lost. Now your stud bull is different. Now, when you buy a stud bull, every four or $5,000 just to buy a stud bull. And now you have a stud bull. Sometimes the stud bulls are on loan, you know, mm -hmm. or sometimes you rent a stud bull. Mm -hmm. But if you lose a stud bull, you just lost the opportunity of, of, of increasing, you know, the numbers of your herd. But there were cases, one in Georgia, uh, you know, here in Colorado, a couple of cases. I think one in uh, South Dakota. Or they were bulls. Um, she's also asking, um, have you found cases where the uh, the animal was pregnant and then not pregnant afterwards? And do you think there's a correlation with them wanting the fetus or whatever it is, wanting the fetuses or experimenting with that? Um. Not really. I mean, the one case, the Gary case I showed you, they left the calf alone. There was another case where, and 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 I was able to get to this animal within 24 hours. To to do a proper mutilation investigation, you have to get to the animal within about 32 hours or so. Uh, a little bit longer if it's around winter time. A little bit less if it's hot in the middle of the July because you know the the insects mm -hmm. set in and kind of messing up your evidence. So this. So ranchers, they know, they keep track and they tag the cows that are pregnant and they count them every day and they watch where they are. They see what's going on with them, if they're healthy now, because that is their livelihood, those calves. So uh, this was, again, this was uh, one of Rancher Miller's and he came out to check on the calves or the cows early in the morning, you know, dawn. And there's a cow in the middle of the pasture with the rest of the herd just crying ooh, ooh, just making all kinds of noise and it was pointing in in a, another direction it was pointing to another pasture and rancher goes oh what's going on so he walks out to the cow and he looks and the cow's looking off at a distance and he could see something off in a distance and so he started walking towards you know what he could see off the distance which turned out to be a newborn calf where the calf that you know um, the cow had had, had just uh, had, but it was interesting was when he started walking towards the calf, the cow started following him. The cow was afraid to go to the calf, but waited till the rancher to show up, and followed the rancher back to the calf, and the calf was lying there, and there was a hole about so big in the anal area of a calf. Now coyotes, what they'll do, is you'll have a pack of coyotes that will be near a, a pregnant mother as she's giving birth. And then as the calf is coming out, a couple of them will distract 
the cow, another one will come in and, and actually, you know, bite and attach itself to the calf and pull it out the rest of the way. And, and then they drag it out in a pack, you know, take it, you know, takes it from there. But this wasn't the case. The calf was just laying there. And so when I looked at it right off, you know, I could see that the tongue was missing and because the mouth was open and I kind of pried it open. I could see the tongue was cut way back here and there was a hole about this big in the anal area. So um, I immediately loaded in the back of my truck and I drove from Trinidad, Colorado, past Denver to, uh, you know, uh, uh, up basically over by uh, Fort Collins and to the Colorado State University Veterinary Lab and dropped it off there probably about 12, three in the morning of the next day, because it was such a long drive. Um, and then I found out when they, they did a necropsy on it, that it appeared that the majority of organs inside of the animal were pulled out of the hole, out of the, the, the anal hole of the animal, but, and the heart was still there, but the heart was collapsed and the tongue was missing and the tongue was cut way, way back. And I asked, the uh, you know the vet I said have you ever seen anything like that is this anything common because absolutely this is the first time I've seen this you know this is this is strictly unusual and I can go in further about you know Colorado State University with you know the relationship I had with them while all this was going on because um, I actually did some lectures down there to teach the doctors what I was looking you know for and and why I was doing mutilation cases and and then they in turn invited me to do a necropsy on a horse in their lab to teach me a little bit about horses and cows and what to expect between an animal dying of natural causes and non-natural causes. But when I did a necropsy on the horse, the heart was not collapsed. And that generally that's not the case. The only way the heart can collapse is if it bleeds out. Now there was no blood around that calf, which means the animal was picked up, bled out, the mutilation took place and then placed back there. Ooh. Um, oh, I think I actually there, already answered. We is there any uh, evidence of, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, is oh. there any evidence of wild animals versus oh, yeah. domestic animals being mutilated? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've investigated horses. I've been, uh, matter of fact, one of the first Miller cases um, a week before Miller's cow was mutilated, a rancher lost his ranch dog. And we only found out about it because he came over and talked to me because he found out that I was investigating the strange animal death. And his ranch dog, um, they, they found him was lying on the back porch, uh, back door porch of, of the ranch house and all four paws were missing and the tongue was missing. And there was no blood anywhere. It was just laying there. Um, now with, uh, uh, what about like elk or moose? Yep. Yeah. So a couple of years back, um, uh, there was an, I did an investigation of some elk in New Mexico. Um, last mm -hmm. year we did an investigation for alien highway, uh, Colorado, uh, you know, um, animal mutilations and stuff, you know, that was one episode. And, uh, there was a case of elk, um, um, in, in the divide area, um, and then I've also researched uh, investigations. Uh, there was an investigation. Actually, there was a case, and I and I basically just interviewed the hunter. But he found a rabbit that was being chased by a coyote, and they were both lying on their same side, and they were both mutilated. So that was that was really interesting. So uh, last year, before um, last year around Halloween time, I investigated um, uh, goats. Goat's deaths over here in Colorado near um, uh, Victor. And uh, geez, uh, goats, pigs over uh, cows, horses um, over in Westcliff or not Westcliff, was it Westcliff? Yeah, Westcliff. And so um, and that was last year. No, year before that. Mm. Year before that. So yeah, yeah. So it's just not, it's just not, you know, um, uh, horses uh, or, uh, or cows. Matter of fact, um, in, in in the UK, you know, they've always have sheep that are mutilated. Um, Dominican Republic was sheep, Argentina was sheep and goats. And so, yeah. 
Gerald's asking, do you see a pattern leading up to the mutilations, weather conditions, unusual sound coming from the sky, animals behaving oddly, anything like that before the event? Yeah, but not a weather pattern. Um, what's interesting, and you have to do enough of these to be able to find, well, I actually found a couple patterns. One was a 37 degree latitude, which became the book, which is becoming the movie sometime in the future. But um, where I found out that that, you know, that we had a mutilation in Colorado. And like I said, I keep track of, of all my mutilations by, by GPS too, so I can track them on a map. So one was here and usually mutilations occur within two, three days of each other. There'll be multiple mutilations, maybe three or four, uh, usually three. So I, we had a mutilation here and then within the next two days, we had a mutilation in Missouri, and they were both on the 37th degree latitude of a straight line. Um, and so I picked up one pattern that was, one pattern is, is, is usually, if there's one mutilation, there's usually at least another two, um, if not in the same area, not the same ranch, but the same area somewhere else in the U.S. So there seems to be a pattern. I did do an investigation a, a couple of years ago near... Um, um, well, shoot, I just forgot the name, but it's on the way uh, to Trinidad. Uh, but there was eight cows that were mutilated within uh, Walsenburg. Uh, eight cows that were mutilated within about a week and a half. And the uh, interesting thing about that was all the animals were lying on their same side. And interesting, you know. And then they were all pointing in the same direction, east to west. Majority of my animals are pointing east to west. You know, the body is lying east to west. And uh, and they all had similar, uh, you know, um, cuts. The other thing that's common, though, and this is kind of funny when you have to ask the ranchers this, especially when ranchers aren't too sure about UFOs. But God, about 60% of the time I get positive answers. I'll ask the rancher, I said, have you seen balls of light in the area within the past couple of months? And they say yes. And that would be the one common denominator. If ran and now my ranchers know this because, uh, you know, and then other ranchers that I've dealt with and other, play other ranchers that I've talked to in other states, I'll tell them, I said, if you see anybody in your family sees these balls of light floating, you know, anywhere in your pasture or, or where your cows are, um, watch your cows. Because, uh, you know, they're there. Um, I don't know if they're responsible for the mutilation or they're scoping the area out. <laughs> but um, that's the one common denominator from the UFO uh, aspect of it. So we mentioned earlier black helicopters. Um, I know those have been mentioned in other cases. And my mom did remember seeing them. Do you think that's the government coming by to? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, there was a case in Illinois a few years ago, and uh, the uh, the rancher had lost his cow. God, it was just behind his barn, not too far from his barn. And uh, I, you know, I was talking to him, and he says, "Well, what can I expect next?" I said, "I'll tell you what. Be prepared and 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 watch out for any unmarked helicopters in your area after the fact." And he goes, oh, yeah, really? And I said, just if you have a cell phone, just be prepared. And it's sure enough, about a, about two days later, an unmarked helicopter was hovering right over that animal. And that's happened on a few of my cases, too, horses and some cows. Um, and he shot it on his phone and he sent me the video. And sure enough, there it was. Um, in my opinion now, and, you know, this is my opinion based on my experience and what I think. And there's more to this, too, that I can talk about. Um, somebody within the government or the military, they're running their own investigations. So, you know, they, they're they not tracking the mutes as they happen. You know, they're tracking the mutes as, as you know, if I do them and I, you know, and, you know, and I you know, release them or, or you know, they're, they're on the press or something and then they, they go to the area. Now, where the eight cows that I investigated in Walsenburg was really interesting um, uh, a couple, I guess it was about a month and a half to two months before the mutilations, um, the uh, airlines that were flying, commercial airlines that were flying over that area at a high altitude um, radioed back that there was what they, what appeared to be lasers 
and they thought someone had a very high-powered laser and was hitting them. This was a commercial airplane, and we can't buy those high-powered lasers. So they were thinking something military with a very high-powered laser. And so um, the local law enforcement there was contacted, and then I got—I actually got a copy of the case report, and they gave it to a, a deputy who was former military that just happened to work on lasers. And he went to the area looking for any evidence of where the pilots say the laser was coming from. That was a couple of months before the mutilation. When the mutilations occurred, the, the uh, I think it was the last night uh, or the night of the last mutilation, one of the rancher's daughters saw UFOs or, or, or balls of light or lights off in a distance hovering over a little bit of, not really a mountain range, just kind of a hill range. And they're kind of moving and they kind of take off and she tells her dad, you know, she was like eight or nine. And uh, she tells her dad, you know, oh, there's something out there, UFOs or whatever. A week later, um, two helicopters showed up on one of the ranches about 1.30 in the morning and they had spotlights. And they were doing their own investigation. So this was this was a really really cool investigation for me, because it, first it, it involved multiple animals, the most I've ever done. Well, I did a case in New Mexico where there was 116 elk that had died, but they didn't follow the same mutilation scenario. So this was the most uh, I've, animals I've done in one investigation. Eight, they included lasers included included ufos and included the helicopters so i got the whole ball of wax oh. mike we've only got about eight minutes is there any of these questions that you'd like to ask what's your best piece of evidence that you could tell your wife for justifying all this <laughs> well i tell you my best piece of evidence um is because i'm uh, uh, you know i've been designing microchips i have an idea of, of, you know, from technology as, aspect, what to expect. Um, now, I mentioned that the animals, you know, some of my animals actually lie in a, in a round crop circle or ground depression. So I, um, there was three cases out here in, in Colorado, you know, four cases out here. And so I've taken, I take the soil from inside the circle and outside the circle and then I do a comparison Care analysis. analysis. Uh, basically, I, uh, my lab that I send it to uh, is the lab that does soil samples for BLM for New Mexico and Colorado. So uh, it's just not some guy down the street. This is a very professional lab. And I just say compare A to B. I don't tell him anything else. And what happens is the cations, the CECs or the nutrients inside the circle are different than the nutrients on the sample that I take outside the circle, which means that the soil is less soluble. The nutrients have actually changed. Um, not heat, energy, I believe, actually changed the soil. Now I'm thinking, okay, so I, I got this in Colorado. Then I did a case in Georgia where we had soil samples taken. I got the same results. Then we did a case in Kansas City, Missouri. I got the same results. Okay, so now we have three different states, three different types of soils, because Missouri is high in clay. I'm not quite sure about Georgia, but, um, but we still got the same results. So that's enough proof for me saying, okay, I have an anomaly, enough to prove to my wife. I'm going, look, from, from a scientific point of view, look at science, look at the data. This shouldn't happen. That soil should be the same. Then I had the high EMF readings. In, in some cases, which you're not supposed to have. And then I have multiple ranchers that have seen balls of light. And actually, we got pictures uh, from one other couple of ranchers where they shot them that, that pop up, you know, in, in that area. So when you have multiple sources of evidence like that, it builds the case and it's, it's more solid. Mm, interesting. Is, what do you think they're doing with the pieces they take? Why, why, why do it? And you know, that's a good question. And um, I actually wrote a blog about that. Um, to know what an alien does, you have to be an alien, right? You know, <laughs> we really have no idea. All we can do is speculate. All I can Would tell you- for cloning or something like that? Well, there's, there's, there's all kinds of theories out there. Um, the, the one thing I can tell you, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the first case that at least I found or, you know, or that we know about happened in the late 1800s. And ever since then, it's always been about the blood. The cuts are can be identical, but I showed you pictures and the cuts are all over the place. 
So it's not like they're, they're, they're cutting the animal in the same place. At first, I thought they were going to cuts, and the cuts were in glandular areas, and maybe they were sampling, you know, the, the glands, of, and maybe, you know, uh, what's, you know, the, maybe the blood's different in the gland or whatever. Um, and then, and then taking, you know, taking part of the you know, organs out too, for whatever reason, but it's always the blood. Uh, there was theories years ago that, you know, um, aliens were, were using the blood as, as a, you know, as nutrition. And yeah, there was one story where these, you know, Dulce, New Mexico is an alien human base. And there's these big vats full of, of blood, of, of, you know, animal blood. And the aliens would just sit there and float in it. And because, you know, they don't consume it through a stomach. They kind of absorb it through their skin, like osmosis or something. You know, that was one theory. The other theory that I have a tendency to point more towards is, is like you mentioned, hybrid design. Um, mm -hmm. Because there have been reports of people seeing what they believe are humans, but they don't look and act like humans. You know, but they, you know, they all look like Edgar Winter. <laughs> if anybody remembers who Edgar Winter group is, you know, the song Frankenstein, um, you know, he's an albino and with, with, with white hair. They kind of kind of look like that, except for the eyes are dark, 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 dark blue. And I actually ran into a couple of those guys uh, a few years ago in, in uh, Denver when I was doing an investigation. That's a whole other story. But uh, um, wow. So, you know, um, hybrid, possible hybrid. Um, some people seem to think that they're, uh, that who's ever doing it is, 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 is environmental, you know, because cows eat, you know, grass and stuff and they're checking the environment and seeing how that's going. I can tell you for sure, um, I captured a ball of light in uh, Missouri, in Marley Woods, Missouri. Um, and then I went, I, drove, I went back to Missouri because my sister lives there. I did another investigation if the ball of light comes out of these woods and sometimes it's one or two lights, sometimes it's a whole stadium of lights. Um, and then, so my theory was, well, whoever they are, whatever they are, they're looking at the environment. So I'm going, aha, I'm going to change the environment. So there's this field where the cattle are right uh, at the edge of the forest where the Marley woods are in the woods. So what I did was I used television, the gousers or electromagnets, and I created an artificial magnetic field in this in this you know, area where cattle's graze. And I had cameras sit up and for a quick second, a light came up, blinked and went away. So that proved my theory. I changed the environment, a light popped up and I got it on video. The light popped up real quick to see, you know, what happened, why the environment changed and it went away, you know? And so I'm going, ah, so that's, you know, I think that's what they're doing based on my own investigations. We have a lot of questions coming through, but I think that they're common questions that you've answered. But this is one I've never thought of. Charles says, if aliens have left splintered type items in humans, have you ever found one an unknown item in a mutilated cattle? No, no, I really haven't. Um, first thing we were looking at in, in cases, you know, with a lot of these cases I've done is, you know, if the animal's cut right here, and if, you know, if it's circular, I'll take... Uh, like a pie cut, and then and then uh, and then I take a few of those cuts and I send them in to the lab to have them analyzed. And the pie cut, my cut is the pie cut, and then the other, the, the the third part of the pie is the actual cut itself. You know the anomaly, and there and what we found, uh, what what the lab has found, um, is um, there's no hemorrhaging, which means the animal was not alive when it was cut, or else there would be hemorrhaging, there'd be blood there. Um, there's no high temperature, meaning it, it wasn't a laser that made the cut or else it would cauterize, you know, the skin or, or the, you know, the hairs in there. Um, I've had two different types of cuts. One cut was serrated, like a perfect jagged cut. And the other one, that was just one rare time, but most of them are very smooth uh, scalpel-like cuts, very, very, very smooth cuts. Uh, at no time, though, have we ever found any type of, of anomalies in the animal itself? Other than I can guarantee this here's something different, interesting. I got to tell you about this. Now, when you, you talk to investigators, they're going to say, well, the animal is taken and they're dropped and the helicopters are dropping them down. And oh, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> My, I just, a window popped up saying, I'm going to restart your computer. Oh. Um, <laughs> so um, that's not the case because if you, if you take, if you take an animal and you have a helicopter and you mutilate it and the helicopter and drops it, what does that pen do? 
that pan moves when it hits the ground, right? The cow would bounce when it hits the ground. That's not the case. When we find these animals, they are there. And, and some of them are placed so hard, there's a crater in the ground. In other cases, the inside of the bones are broken. The rib cages was removed from, from the spine and the legs are broken, but there's no movement, which means a force, an energy force, my opinion, an energy force actually took this thing, right? And laid it down, didn't drop it, right? Laid it down and depending on the energy force, can crush the animal or not crush the animal. And then sometimes I can pick up that energy source um, if I get there fast enough with an EMF meter because I'll get a little bit of a, an energy spike. So cool. we are, oh, we're out of time, Mike. Is there any um, thing else, anything else that you want to ask before we go? There's probably a lot of questions, but man, <laughs> I could listen all day long. Me too. <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, my website's UFO Nut. Dot com. That's UFO Nut. The reason why it's UFO Nut is because when I started doing this 30 some years ago, people were calling me a nut. Just <laughs> getting mad at them, I just decided to go with it. I got UFO Nut on my license plate, UFO That's Biker true. on my Harley, UFO Lab on the trailer. You know, so I, I kind of roll with it. So just that UFO Nut.com. And then on the upper part of the uh, of the website, you'll see email, and you can just email me your questions, and I'll answer. I answer all my emails. Uh, this book too has a lot of information. If anybody has any other questions, oh yeah, you can buy that from Amazon used now for like four or five dollars or less yeah. than that. And I apologize for the ending. I didn't write the book. The book was written <laughs> about me. Um, but Ben Mesrick was having issues of of how he wanted to end a book, and how do you end a book when there's no ending? Right. It's still going on, but he right. did something really, really creative where uh, at the end of the book, you have to really read between the lines and understand what he did at the end, because he actually was referring to another person, too, that we could refer to, a billionaire, who since a year later came out public that was under contract with the Pentagon, you know, and so, but, you know, we couldn't mention that. At the right. <laughs> right. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us, Chuck, before we sign off? Anything we should yeah, know? If anybody, you know, if anybody knows about any type of mutilation cases um, in their area, you know, just drop me an email. Let me know about it. Um, like I said, you know, we've been tracking some and and uh, recently in Oregon, and then I, I don't know where this other one is. I, mean, I sent the email out to find out where these you know other mutilations. We're just kind of keeping an eye on them. But not only that, but you know, um, I. I do Bigfoot investigations and creature investigations and ghost investigations. So I'm kind of like all over the field. So if you have any questions that have to do with paranormal other than normal, just email me. Would you take us on one of your investigations? Any of them? Would I? Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, I, I would. The, the I'm only, um, I'm hesitant on cattle and or animal mutilations. And the only reason why I'm hesitant, not with other people, not with other investigators, though, you know, just because um, that's probably my most dangerous type of investigation because you really, really don't know um, how the animal died. I've had some cases where the rancher touched the animal and lost the feeling in his arm for like a week. Really? It was all tingly, lost the feeling. Another case where uh, a dog was was biting on the animal and became extremely sick and almost died. So um, there are some cases like that. So I, I approach every one of my animal mutilation cases very cautiously because you really don't know, you know, how they right. actually die. Well, we're available anytime you want to take us with you. We're, we, uh, we've been around, the paranormal has been part of our lives for, since we were kids, but um, we're still learning, like, we're still learning, and we we love to learn from the experts, so. I'll tell you, it's something that I, I lecture about is uh, when people ask me about it, I said, you know, for every case I do, I learn something new. Yeah. I really do. And then, that's true. Uh, it's the learning curve, you know, going on and on and on, and that's what keeps me going, because I know I'm going to learn more. Do you have any pictures of the lights you could show us real quick? Any pictures of the what? The orbs, the orange orbs. Do you have any of those available? Um, I don't. Or is it on your UFO nut? Are um, they on that? Yeah, they're probably on UFO nut. Um, there are some pictures on that. Yeah, I got some, got some on the camera and stuff. And um, actually, there was um, 
I just released a blog, um, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh, let me see real quick. Anyway, it's it's about, um, anyway, uh, it's about um, the case that we did last year in Missouri. And I actually have video of, of the balls of light. And that, and that was probably a couple. So if you go to my website and uh, let me see if I can, I can go back. Anyway, um, I forgot the name of it. You have to go back a little bit and it, it'll say something about Missouri. Is um, Skinwalker Career? Anyway, yeah, I think it goes back probably about five or six podcast or, or, or blogs back, but there's actually a video and you'll be able to see. It's, it's really cool because one of the videos I'm being, I'm, I'm actually being interviewed. I'm uh, in, in being interviewed, Alien Highway, the cameraman's on me and I'm talking, right? And then uh, he, he stops, goes, I go, what'd you stop for? I was like, I was in a roll, you know, because it's it's all ad lib on the Alien Highway. Nothing was scripted. And he goes, lights popped up behind you. And I'm like, what? And I grabbed my camera, turned around and sure enough, these lights are popping up. You'll see wow. that in the video on the website. That's cool. Well, we appreciate you joining us tonight, Chuck, and for sharing your stories and your expertise. This is this has been a really good conversation. Uh, we apologize to anybody that we didn't get to your question, um, but like Chuck said, he's got a lot of information on his website. It's ufonut.com, so ufonut.com, and uh, you could probably find the answers to a lot of your questions there. Yeah, or just um, email me, and I'll answer it. Yep email. That's how I got a hold of you. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Mike? No, I just wanted to thank you for sharing that with us. I really enjoyed it. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I really enjoy, you know, uh, doing podcasts like this, especially live ones, because I get the opportunity of, of answering questions, you know, from, from the viewers themselves. Um, so if you, you know, down the road, if you want to talk about something else, Bigfoot, creatures, ghosts, you know, We'll do it again. All right. Awesome. We're we're into all that stuff, so that'll be great. All right. Till till next week, uh, we have another spooky episode. We're gonna do the uh, Wyoming State Prison investigation next week. So, thanks, thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, find your own destination. And solve the mystery. Good night. Thanks, Chuck. Good night.